This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. So glad to have you on a Wednesday drive, WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad. We're on the eve of the 2023 Masters. We're going to be golf heavy today. So let's just get this out of the way now. In more ways than one, this year's Masters reminds me a lot of last year's Open Championship. And I like the same guy who won at St. Andrews to put on a green jacket Sunday afternoon. That's Cam Smith. He's my pick. Yes, he's a live guy. Yes, if it happens this way, that'll be a central storyline and be bandied about for a long time. But he's very well set up to win because he's got the right resume at Augusta. I don't really care much about, oh, the live golf readiness. They're playing 54 holes. They're playing scramble style. Oh, my goodness, they're not playing as many tournaments. I don't care about that as much as I do how have you performed at Augusta. This tournament, the most important metrics, not how are you playing lately, it's how have you played at this tournament. You're going to bring your best when you're at the Masters. And when I look at what Cam Smith's done, top 10s in his last three starts there, tied for a second best finish, tied for a third best finish. That is what matters to me. And a big reason why it reminds me a lot of the Open Championship last year a lot of the talk at St. Andrews was surrounding Rory McIlroy. Hey, can Rory win at St. Andrews? We're going to root him on. Here he is in position on the final day to do so. And then Cam Smith swooped in and stole it. And the other Cam, the former Wake Forest golfer Cam Young, he hits a circus shot on the 18th hole, and Rory doesn't even end up being a final or a uh, runner-up in that open championship. Cam Smith won it, and all the pressure right now is on Rory to win the Masters because it's the one major he hasn't won, and everybody's discussing it. Oh, boy. Can Rory overcome some of his demons? 2011, hitting someone's house on 10, being up those four strokes and losing by 10 strokes to whoever ended up winning that year. Forget, memory slips me a bit. Rory McIlroy, runner-up last year. Until I see it happen, it's hard to really pick him to do it. And the weather, it's going to look a lot like Scotland, I guess. So there's another reason why perhaps the Open Championship might be a nice comparison point here. This week does have the feel of a first-time winner taking it. It has that feel. So the guys that I'm watching, Cam Smith, the X-Man Xander Shoffley, who I think one year I picked in every single major because it just feels like He's getting close. He didn't get it in any of those four, but he's come close. Had that one that he nearly won before hitting a bad shot on 15, the year that Hideki Matsuyama won it a couple years back. John Rahm, given how heavy of a hitter he is, he's a guy you always have to watch out for. And maybe it is Cam Young or Will Zalatoris, one of the weight guys that can step in and win. But my pick is Cam Smith to win the Masters, to win a green jacket. Send me that cash out, family. Now that the college basketball season is over, all the attention in that sport shifts to what's going on in the transfer portal, especially for North Carolina fans who know that 
success or failure next year going to be entirely dependent on what Hubert Davis does over the next few months. However, the portal isn't the only place that talent comes from. The problem is North Carolina doesn't really have the greatest recruiting class in 2023. But they do have a great class in 24. And if you start to read the tea leaves, reclassification is going to be part of the solution for Carolina. Just put these facts side by side. Due to transfers, Carolina has five roster spots open, and they also have the number one recruiting class a year from now. Bunch of spots open, great recruiting class, number one class. Yeah, it sounds like reclassification. North Carolina would be ripe for it this year, and that class is really the one thing that Hubert has going for him right now. The pressure's on. Some believe he has to perform next year or he might be in trouble. I don't happen to be one of those. I don't think he's on the hot seat that type of way. But there are some real incentive to get some of those guys playing for you right now, including the top player in the class, and that's the New York point guard, Ian Jackson. I think on three has him as the second best player in the class. 24-7 has him as the fifth best player in the class. He seemed to be a one-and-done type of player, one of the best recruits North Carolina has pulled in in a very long time. And... Doesn't seem like the Tar Heels or Ian Jackson are all that opposed to the idea of reclassification. Adam Zagoria, who's one of the top hoop reporters out there based in New York, had a chance to speak with Ian, who told him while he's still planning to attend North Carolina next year or a year from now, enroll for the 24 25 season, he says he's taking a look at reclassification, which is a big deal. And he says he's having conversations with fellow North Carolina commit and five-star Elliot Cadeau about the subject and that they're recruiting another five-star player who's uncommitted right now from the state of New York to see if he wants to join the Tar Heels. Ian Jackson doing a lot of work here. And you might think, is Hubert Davis opposed to reclassification? He hasn't really welcomed one of those players in yet. Yeah, Hubert is receptive to it. He wanted Gigi Jackson to reclassify last year. Asked him that in April when they had the open roster spot before they brought in Pete Nance. He said he was going to look towards joining at about this time. And then after having a good summer, Gigi changed his mind. And North Carolina didn't have a roster spot open. So what I would suspect, North Carolina is going to add some guys in the portal. They need to add some dudes. It can't just be a point guard from an Ivy League school like Pax and Wojcik. All due respect that you add. That's not a dude. You're going to need to add some guys like that in the transfer portal. We understand that. But it's suspect that, expect that North Carolina is going to pick up maybe a couple of guys in the portal over the next month. And one or two players are probably going to reclassify. Or you're going to open up, leave open in June and July, a roster spot or two to have an Ian Jackson join or an Elliot Cadell. I think it's going to be a combination of the two. I think it's going to be... Yes, you're adding guys in the portal, but reclassification. North Carolina has that written all over them, making this a better offseason for them in the way of adding talent. It's the drive with Josh WSJS. When you're playing this course, does it ever cross your mind this could be the last time? Yes, it has. Uh, I don't know how many more I have in me. So just to be able to appreciate the, the, the time that I have here and, and cherish the, the memories.
That was Tiger yesterday. The Masters starts tomorrow, so we welcome in the triad's foremost authority on all things golf and Masters. He'll be covering his 26th Masters starting tomorrow. John Dell from the Winston-Salem Journal with us. And, John, you heard Tiger there. How many more years, given how many times you've seen that guy put on a green jacket and you've seen how competitive he is, how many more years could you see Tiger doing this and if his condition never improves to a point where he's legitimately contending to win major championships? This could be it. I hate to say that because um, I'm more interested in Tiger when he plays. Um, I, I hope that's not the case, but he's 46. Um, you know, that's the age Nicholas was when he won it in 1986. So I hope he plays, you know, as, as long as he can because the sport needs Tiger Woods. Um, but if he's not, it doesn't have a chance to win if he misses the cut this week. Now, you mentioned earlier in the week, the weather is not going to be conducive for Tiger. It needs to be fast and firm. It's going to be wet and slow. So that doesn't help him and is, you know, walking around the, the hills there at Augusta. So I hope he, you know, can play out past this year and, and, you know, cause he can come as long as he wants and the masters will surely take him as long as he wants. So I hope it's not this year. I hope it's a, you know, a couple more years that he can play, but he definitely like Ed, the great Ed Harden said one time, tiger is the needle. He doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. Who is the weather conducive to, or what kind of game do you think does well with cold temperatures and rain and perhaps whipping wind of 10, 12, 15 miles per hour Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? I think it favors the power guys because they don't, you know, they can hit it out as far as they need to and it's not going to get as much roll. So that's going to take it, that's going to be advantageous to the power guys, the Dustin Johnsons, the John Robs, uh, the Rory McElroys. I think those are the guys that you know favors when it's when it's wet and slow and and cold i i think the power guys have more of an advantage than when it's uh when it's not uh fast and hard we've seen cam young have success in majors maybe not this one yet but certainly the others and will zalatoris has had his number of top tens already at such a young age which of the weight guys do you think has a better shot this week well, looking at the tee times, I think Cam Young because he's getting he's getting to play with two of the big guns. He's playing with Justin Thomas and John Rahm, and that that's got to help him because I think you know he's going to see what it takes and what these guys can do, and I, I think that helps him. Will is having you know he's having some putting issues. He had the back back surgery, was out three or four months, and then he had a stomach bug and he lost like seven or eight pounds and. Will Zalatoris cannot afford to lose weight because he's already as a, thin as a two iron. So I think uh, Cameron has the, the the better chance, you know, to to do well. And you know, obviously they're the two weight guys that are in the field, and I'll be you know keeping an eye on them. John Dell with us here. Read his story in the Winston Salem Journal today, talking about the five golfers that he will be keeping a close eye on on the eve of the Masters, and of course, read his coverage from Augusta starting tomorrow. He'll be out that way Rory McIlroy one of the guys that we're all watching it's weird do you get the sense that he is the prominent storyline this week because that's my sense and I don't remember the last time a tournament field featured Tiger Woods at Augusta and he wasn't the biggest story 
I actually think Rory's kind of under the radar because mm. all this live PGA tour battle that's going on. I think that kind of plays, although Rory is very a big proponent of the PGA tour. I just think all the other things that are going on is kind of put, you know, Rory kind of on the, on the, uh, underneath the radar, which is fine for him. Um, and, and, you know, obviously I think, you know, he, to, to win, he wants to win the career grand slam. And I really think that 64 last year in the final round where he, you know, ma- made a birdie from the, from the bunker on the 18th. I think that's going to help him. I, I just think that, you know, he's been, this is his 11th time, I think playing in the masters and he's going to win it eventually. Um, and I think it sets up for him to, he's kind of my overall pick. Of oh. course, he'll probably, he'll probably shoot 80 tomorrow, but I think, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of the guy that I think is going to win it. So I've got, this reminds me a lot of the open championship last year. My pick is Cameron Smith and that he, he's played so well. I, I worry about, I look at guys who have had great track records at Augusta more than what you, what your regiment might've been going into play this week. Guys are going to uh, elevate their play. We know that. I think a lot's made for not about the live golf readiness angle to things. And the reason it reminds me of the open championship last year, everybody was talking about Rory and said Andrews and all that. And then Cam Smith comes in and swoops in. He wins the major championship. I think the bad weather also could play well to his game. He's my pick, but you like Rory McIlroy. Well, I just hope the live guys don't leave after 54 holes. I hope they realize it's a 72 hole <laughs> tournament. I hope they don't look for a shotgun start tomorrow because they all go off the first tee. But no, that's that's my little joke. That's um, good. I, no, the, Camp Smith is is really playing well. It doesn't matter what tour he's playing right now, and that's kind of why I, I kind of put uh, Brooks Kepka in that on that list because you know he just won, and oh by the way, he only won four million from the uh, Live Golf Tour, but. Um, I don't care where you win. If you come in, uh, I think that's going to help. And and Brooks needs a little momentum to get going. So if he has a good round Thursday, I, I would suspect he may hang around for the weekend as well. Never been to the Masters. It's on my bucket list right there at the top. John Dell covering his 26, joining us here on WSJS. What's your favorite thing to do when you arrive at the event that – maybe somebody who hasn't ever been to the masters before can't appreciate. I like to look around and see the first timers, the first time fans or patrons as they're called. Um, I like to watch, see them and their expression and what they, what they look, look for, what they look at. And I never, it never ceases to amaze me that they are fascinated by it. And it, it, TV doesn't do it justice. You go out there and you see it and you're like, wow, this is, this is better than TV. So I think I just kind of like looking at the the people that show up and they're there for the first time because, like I said earlier, it never gets old. It's a tradition unlike any other. So it's uh, it's a great place to be for a week, I'll tell you that. Well, I'm hoping one of these years I can make my way out there and you could show me the ropes a little bit. Still uh, going to hold you to getting me a hat one day and bringing, okay. a hat, bringing a hat back to me because they don't sell those things for you to buy online or anything like that. They're old school in that regard. And I like that. I think it's kind of cool, the exclusive uh, exclusivity of it all, and also well, the you, buck 50 pimento cheese sandwiches. Well, when you go into that uh, gift shop, it's like a game show. You're <laughs> like you're running around. I, my wife keeps ye- yelling at me for buying more stuff, but I always say, well, this might be my last year covering it. So I've got more shirts that I know what to do with. But you go in there and you start seeing this and that and wine glasses and beer mugs and coffee mugs. I mean, they've, they've got it all in there. And it's a uh, 
it's a game show. You try to see how much money you can spend in a half hour. You grab me something, you can surprise me, and I will pay you whatever it costs with interest. Just let me know. Sounds good. <laughs> John Dell, have, have fun covering this week, and uh, I can't wait to read your coverage. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life is a maze, and love is a riddle. I don't know where to go. Can't do it alone. I've tried, and I don't know why. Slow it down, make it stop, or else my heart is going to pop. This song still gets to me. Too much. Yeah, it's From the movie Moneyball. To be something I'm not Best sports movie of the 21st century, in my opinion. WD watched it for the first time. We'll talk about that at the movies momentarily. Updating this poll, though. Who would you take to win the Masters? The top three golfers overwhelmingly in the world golf rankings and also in terms of odds this week, Scotty Scheffler, the defending champ, John Rahm, and Rory McIlroy, or the rest of the field? 51% say the rest of the field. You could still vote on that at Josh Graham Radio, at WSJS Radio on Twitter, which is also where we're streaming video. However, and wherever you are watching, we appreciate that. I don't think it's a long list of guys who can win this week, especially with the weather, but it's probably between 10 to 12 guys. So I'll take the eight or nine that can win over the top three. And we'll get into some of the value picks a little bit later on. Now let's go to the movies with the WD. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You uncultured swine! But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. Okay. Last week, it was Fight Club. Some say that's Brad Pitt's best movie. Many others say that this is Brad Pitt's best movie. The other ones that would be in the discussion for that, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's playing a real super star type role and a supporting role. He's really good in true romance, but it's at the movies, Moneyball 2011. WD, what did you like about this movie? I like the fact that it felt very real and authentic. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really turns me off to sports movies is a lot of times the sports in the movie feels kind of cheesy. and Yeah, 70s and 80s, they didn't care much about authenticity, no. you will find. Right. They're not expecting people to watch these movies 30, 40 times. No. I've watched Moneyball at least 15, 20 times now, and I still go back to it, and... A lot of that has to do to the authenticity you're talking about. Yeah, the baseball gameplay felt very real. It was very interesting to see what goes on in the front office, like competing with the Yankees and the Red Sox, who have so much more of a salary capability than the A's did. And I also liked how they they brought you in and then kind of capture your attention right out of the gate with the AL Divisional game, the actual game itself. And then, you know, they show the comparison of the salaries, kind of showing what the tone of the movie is going to be. And then they, you know, cut to Billy Bean just sitting there in the stadium by himself. Perfect introduction to a character. He's not with the team. He's sitting in the stands. He's turning on a radio every five seconds Mm -hmm. to get the updates. Another thing is, 
I didn't realize this until rewatching it a few days ago. This is a two-hour, 13-minute sports movie. Usually sports movies are hour and a half, hour 45, two hours and 13 minutes, and it doesn't feel fat. There is no fluff in this because everything in it has a purpose. Now, the first few times I watched it, I thought, do we really need, you know, the Robin Wright ex-wife character, and do we need the, the girl playing the song that you just heard and all that? That was my initial reaction to stuff with him being a former ball player and all that. But the more times I watch it, yeah, the more you need that because that powerful final scene of him sitting there in his car vacillating over the decision to stay in Oakland versus leave for the Red Sox gig, it's a lot more powerful when you hear that song at the end and the way the movie ends because you have all that stuff. So everything feels like it does have a purpose and it doesn't have like a, like a Disney pixie dust feel on top of it that you would get in movies like Remember the Titans or 42. Oh, we just got to feel good at the end for the purpose of feeling good. All right, what didn't you like about it? I'm not sure. What were you telling me earlier about the Tim Hudson that stuff? Oh, yeah. This is the th most common critique from baseball yeah. fans about this movie. Um, it it's the fact that, oh, the reason the A's won in 2002 is because of Chad Bradford, Scott Hatterberg, and David Justice. They had freaking Barry Zito, Miguel Tejada, and Tim Hudson right. as well. Those guys are pretty good. And are they characters in this movie? No. You don't see Hudson at all. And the 11-0 comeback by the, the Royals in the record-breaking game, you see that Tim Hudson's on the mound in some of the cutaways, but... There are some liberties taken there. Art Howe doesn't really look like uh, <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Philip Seymour Hoffman doesn't really look like Art Howe, which is why Art Howe wasn't really happy with the movie. You might remember Ryan McGee talking about it last week and saying, Art Howe's actually a nice guy who they made look like a jerk in this movie. But if I'm going to push back on that a bit, hey, Art Howe, you had Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late great actor, play you in a movie. Like, the fact that he's in this movie is kind of an incredible deal, one of the greatest character actors of all time. So some of the baseball stuff you can nitpick, but th that's how Hollywood works. You got to take liberties at point. Just like we talked about with the social network. Did Mark Zuckerberg create Facebook because a girlfriend dumped him? No, but... Certainly makes it a better story that it happens that way. I mean, you could take some liberties and still get the overall themes right. Okay, best quote. His girlfriend is a six at best. <laughs> confidence, man. <laughs> no confidence. Uh, Same scene. Brad Pitt. If he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? <laughs> yeah. That's great. If he's yeah. a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? Uh, how can you not be romantic about baseball is the line that everybody takes from this. He's a good hitter. Why doesn't he hit good? Yeah, it's it's great. Audience score, though. Can you get within five? Rotten Tomatoes audience score. I'm going to go for a 92. 86, I'm sorry. Really? Ah. And that's been At the Movies with the WD. Next week, you're going to be watching White Men Can't Jump. Starring uh, John Lovitz and Dana Carvey. You know who both of those guys are, right? Not a clue. And then the joke's ineffective. 
Last night was a big college baseball night. Sellout in Greenville, America as East Carolina, my ECU Pirates, beat NC State. So, you know, the Wolfpack going to be upset as they visit Winston-Salem this weekend. And the team they're facing going to be pretty upset too. The Demon Deacons, number two in the country, upset by Elon yesterday. If you want to go see NC State Wake Forest this weekend, since we're welcoming Darren Vaught to the show now, let's queue up the first two callers to WD right now. 336-777-1600 gets tickets to that series. NC State Wake Forest over the weekend. Darren, before we get to unusual questions in Major League Baseball, how surprised were you to see your alma mater knock off the Deeks? It's a big win. Um, I, I think... I've been saying it, I know, all year. I think a lot of others have as well. Look, the, the using my air quotes, mid-major baseball programs in this state are really, really good. Campbell lost to Duke last night as well at Durham Bulls Athletic Park, but Campbell's a top 15 team in the country, in the country now, Campbell. Wow. Um, the Pirates, pirates are, are in that conversation as well, Elon is good. I think UNC Wilmington is good. So the CAA is is loaded when you factor in that they've got a team that's perennially pretty good in Northeastern, not in the state of North Carolina, obviously. But um, so like it, it's a nice, it was a pleasant surprise. We have not seen Wake affected like that, although their series against Clemson was a, a those games they swept and got three wins against Clemson over the weekend, but the Tigers played them within a run twice. Um, and that's not to say Wake is not everything that they are being purported to be because they're that good. I mean, listen, there's LSU and there's Wake Forest. That's the class of the country right there. And you got some other SEC teams like Arkansas and Vanderbilt that are in that mix. Another ACC team is certainly in that conversation with Virginia um, that's a big win, big win for the Phoenix on their way to potentially trying to get to a regional, which would be uh, pretty, pretty great. You texted me this and we use this as a tease. You said there is something that has happened in major league baseball that you believe is the most sick, significant positive development for the sport since the summer of 98 with Sosa and McGuire. What is that development? It's the pitch clock. I don't think that'll come to the surprise of, of anyone who's been paying attention, but we just saw a Marlins twins game yesterday that was sub two hours, one to nothing, right? And it's going to happen. A pitcher's duel. Kenta Maeda was on for the twins. Sandy Alcantara, the defending NL Cy Young, was on for the Marlins. It was a great game, one to nothing, one hour and 57 minutes. A good game that was. And I'm going to reiterate this a lot as I praise the pitch clock. The best thing about the pitch clock, it does not mess with the nature of the game, the fabric of the game. When you watch a baseball game in which the pitch clock is being enforced, it is still a baseball game. Nothing's changed. Literally nothing. They're just getting to business. And the pushback, the pushback that I hear from baseball purists, though, is baseball should never be on a clock. It's never been on a clock. It shouldn't be on a clock. How do you respond to that? 
it has been on a clock. It's in the Major League Baseball rulebook. It's just never been enforced the way that it's being enforced. That's another misconception about the pitch clock. The, the clock has always been there. It's always been part of the rulebook. It's just been left up to the judgment of an umpire as to whether or not things need to be sped up to, to move them along. So now we just have a digital representation and physical enforcement of something that's always been there and always been allowed to be enforced. And again, you're not changing anything. It's not like we shortened games to seven innings. We didn't make a strikeout two strikes. We didn't make a walk three balls. We did not change anything about the fabric of the game. But opening day, <clears throat> I watched two games in their entirety. And you know me, I'm a busy guy. That, that's kind of hard for me to accomplish. Um, I, I also don't have a, a great attention span. Like, I watched right? the Orioles like, two nights ago play a game that was two hours and 18 minutes. And again, I'm with you just because it speeds things up. More urgency is good for baseball, more movement, a lot more stolen base attempts. I think all of that is very good. So I'm with you. And I hadn't thought about it in the context of changes over the last 25 years or so, but I think you might be right on that. Yeah, it it is the most significant change. Now, like, if Manfred can figure out TV with with that apocalypse coming with the RSNs and making games accessible without blackouts, if he mm. can figure that out and figure out some revenue issues with expansion, he's totally turned his commissionership around. And it, again, that's a long way to go to secure those two things, but those with a pitch clock and some rules changes would make him maybe the best commissioner in Major League Baseball history. <laughs> Now let's get to unusual questions with our friend Aaron Vaught. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question, and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. I'm going to repurpose something that I posed earlier, that we discussed earlier, as something that I would love your opinion on. Scotty Scheffler's received a lot of heat for his Masters Championship dinner last night, the champion's dinner. The the champion from the previous year gets to choose the menu of what you eat the week of the Masters when everybody is together. It's a nice little tradition. And in past years, you've seen like Kadeki Matsuyama have a dish that is from his native country, and you see some cool stuff like that. Scotty Scheffler... Decided to have cheeseburger sliders serve Scotty style, whatever that means, firecracker shrimp or tortilla soup, or you could get the Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish. And for dessert, a warm chocolate cookie skillet, oh, a warm chocolate chip skillet cookie served with milks, milk cookies and ice cream. So we just got Applebee's catered in. <laughs> That's, that's what it sounds like See? to me. And I'm yeah. not knocking that. I'm not knocking that. I got, just got I got the Applebee's t-shirt uh -huh. on spelled the proper way with a Y, not an E-E. -E. Scotty Scheffler strikes me as the type of guy whose family to like celebrate something went to Applebee's or Chili's. Like that was the that was the nicest restaurant in town. And again, I grew up in a town where that was the case, right? You wanted to go celebrate something. So I get it. I, I don't I'm mean this to be a knock. Change. I don't want this to be a knock on Scotty Scheffler. I just mean this to ask you won the Masters, Darren Bott. What's on the menu the following year? 
It's the week of the Masters. All so much pressure. All of your colleagues, all of the former greats, like all the people that you look uh, look up to. There's Jack Nicholas. There's Tiger. There's Nick Faldo. They're going to yeah. be eating what you put on the menu. What are you choosing, Darren? I want to know the nuances of like how it gets. It's like Scotty Scheffler did not prepare this food, right? But did he get to handpick someone to prepare it? Mm. You know what I mean? Because then you can just lean on. No, I, I mean, trust the folks in Augusta. You, you got, tell them what you, you want. The they'll get it done. Yeah, the folks in Augusta will take care of you. Like whatever I, you want, they'll execute yeah, it. Whatever Scotty Scheffler style is, they'll figure it out. No, see, you mentioned Hideki Matsuyama. There's zero way, zero way he is trusting the the fine folks of Augusta, Georgia with Japanese cuisine. Zero. Zero chance. <laughs> the miso glaze black cod or the Miyazaki Wagyu? I don't know about that. No, we're not <laughs> we're not entrusting Cheryl or whatever Stop her name is. Filibustering and answer the question. I feel like I would would want to try to be a little bit buzzy with it too. Pizza. Let's do a pizza bar. All varieties. I like that. You want Chicago and and consider that, you know, marinara bread bowl pizza. That's fine. That's in this corner. You get some big, big New York slices in the other. Detroit style the thing. You just got stations, right? We'll take a trip around the world and eat pizza that way. That's outstanding. What's your unusual question, WD? Well, sticking with the theme of food and ironically enough Darren's pizza who has the best pizza crust um, damn it you're gonna catch me being a snob again <laughs> I have to think I'm just like this I might need snob. John Calipari's help on this if I'm being <laughs> honest about it I'll let Darren be a snob real quick before I answer that question my answer is not going to be a chain. And again, I like I grew up on hot and ready pizzas from Little Caesars, but like oh, they got a spending, great crust. Spending my own money, I'm gonna find a, a local, likely New York style place, and I'm gonna get it. You know, patronize the local joint. You and probably it's again. Probably make friends with the owner or somebody who manages it and find out their story. And if they're actually like from an Italian family or, or whatever, then it's bonus points, right? I, I just, my answer is not going to be from a chain. I just, I'm not educated enough. Yeah. I, I haven't had Domino's or, or Papa John's enough lately to, to, to know the discrepancies. Yeah, I am pro New York style over Chicago style. Shout out to two uh, twin or uh, yeah, Twin Cities Pizza, I don't think is still around in downtown Winston-Salem. But if I had to answer the question with a chain that most people know, I'd probably say... Mellow Mushroom. Mellow Mushroom is probably my choice there. Okay, WD, did you have an answer to your own question? I, I did. As, as good as the garlicky nature of the Papa John's crust is, I'm really, I'm, I'm biased here. I got to go with the thin and crispy crust from Pizza Hut. Okay, Pizza Hut, that is. All right, there. Darren, your unusual question. Okay, also food-related. Um, wow! Three for three! Easter Sunday coming yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Favorite Easter candy? Candy. Oh, it's got to be the Reese's eggs. Reese's, Reese's egg. The egg. Yeah. The Reese's yeah. egg. The bunny can get out of here. I, I, I don't even think I eat the bunny. People send me bunnies, family members. I don't think I eat the bunny. 
I get disappointed after about two or three chomps and it's hollow. It's not good. Like if it had filling in it, like caramel filling, that'd be pretty good. But then when you get to the hollow center, you don't want to eat the rest of that bunny. Oh, okay. See, I thought you were talking about the Reese's bunny and it's like a pretty good ratio to peanut butter to, to chocolate. I'm You're just fine. talking about the big the yes. milk chocolate hollow bunny rabbit thing. Get those out yeah. of there. They're worse than peeps, in my opinion. Those things are worse than peeps. And I'm not a big peeps guy. It's just because it looks good and it's deceiving because it looks good and it's not very good. So how would you answer your own question? Give me jelly beans. Oh, and I mean, I mean, I'm not talking Starburst is a good variety. There are some newfangled types that are good. But just give me an old school bag of Brock's jelly beans. Done. That's that's Easter. That's Easter. Although there are a lot of good options, like Cadbury eggs. I, I'm a fan of Cadbury eggs. Some people like Peeps. I just, it's not me. And that's been Unusual Questions with our guy, Darren Vaught. Thanks for the time, buddy. Yep, I'll see you guys.